once again, you have reached the real dirt. And on today's dirt, it's a very special episode. Today, I've got Nick Morin from Canna Cribs. Now, if you haven't seen Canna Cribs, you got to check it out. Great YouTube channel. It's absolutely one of my favorites. It's one of the best production in our whole industry. And if you haven't seen Canna Cribs yet, you're missing out. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me. Chip, thanks for having me. I really appreciate your time. Nick called me up a couple, a month or two ago and said he was going to start a podcast. And we've exchanged a bunch of information and talked back and forth. And, you know, I'm really excited to hear about your podcast. You've just launched a new podcast. And, you know, we just immediately got along on the phone because, like, we do the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, in some manner is we get to go talk to ganja people all over the country and world and find out, you know, what they're all about and get to go into gardens that we made people just dream about. What's it like having this dream job, Nick? I just would say I'm extremely grateful to be working with my team, you know, my best friends and going out and filming these stories, telling these stories now on the podcast. It's a dream job. And It's something that, you know, as a little kid, I never would have imagined I'd be here today, but it's pretty special at this point in time in this industry as we're evolving rapidly. I know we got a lot to talk about, but like, let's, let's talk about Canna Cribs. How did it start? When did it start? Like, tell me about it. I'll take you to the exact point in time. Canacon, Seattle. I was talking with my friends that own uh, Glasshouse Farms in uh, Carpinteria, California, you know, it's dinner, it's after the trade show, as many people do after a trade show, you go out for dinner and drinks and you're just brainstorming. And when you get those energies, you know, across the table going and some good ideas, Canna Cribs was born. You know, I, I wanted to create a, a YouTube series and I was really inspired by Marijuana Mania by Burner and Strain Hunters and their team. And I wanted to come up with a, kind of my own version of Garden Tours I think Growing Exposed was uh, coming up around the same time as well. So, you know, I was chatting with, you know, Graham and their whole team over there. And we came up that uh, they were, it sounds like you got the intro going. So, yeah, that's, that's it right there, man. So we, we uh, flew out there shortly after. They actually flew to Tucson and picked us up, which was a surreal experience in itself right there. I put together my team from the University of Arizona, you know, some friends from college some friends that I've worked with, and then some acquaintances kind of one degree away in Tucson. And uh, we flew out there, filmed our pilot. And as they say, the rest is history. I've actually got it on right now. Glass house, greenhouse, commercial cannabis growing operation in California, can of cribs. I I really love this episode. I love everything about it. Like it's so like highly produced. I'm a TV junkie. I love format and like just the way you guys have produced this whole series, it like mimics, you know, several other of my favorite type of genres, mm. the like, you know, fix and flip style mm. genre, whether either it's an old junk car, they find the barn fine and turn it into, right. <laughs> you know, something, something great or like, you know, a house where like they buy it and they like fix it and flip it. And you've got a lot of the like elements in the editing with that, it really like draws people in. Man, I, I also love all of the the product placement that occurs in this episode and other episodes. It uh, shows the products that people are using 
but it's not like an over-the-top infomercial mm-hmm. advertisement. Because we all know it's like advertising, you know, helps pay for it all. It's very discreetly done. It, it's done well. Yeah, you know? you're exactly right. The product placement and the advertising, it allows for us to go out there and, and film. And, you know, a lot of people don't uh, know this, but it's not like we're charging farms, you know, tens of thousands or you know, $100,000 to go out to film. It's actually no cost, the vast majority of the time. So the farm doesn't pay anything. And, uh, you know, we, of course, have to pay our crew and, and get out there. And, you know, you know this very well, Chip. YouTube gives us $0 in advertising. I can't even spend money on YouTube to promote our show. So it creates a, an environment where you have to be very scrappy. You have to be wise and, and extend your dollars through organic content. And the thought leadership behind the the brands, the products, the services that these growers are using, it's a pretty straightforward model where these are the products that their success is built on. Those companies, you know, like let's say soil companies, you know, your background and growing media in every episode, there's a different growing media. And these growers rely on that product for their success. So it's a really natural fit where we get to educate fans all around the world, uh, we get to help promote the grower through the episode. And then the vendor has an opportunity uh, to promote their products naturally because we don't place products that aren't naturally used at the farm. And you can tell the authenticity of it due to that. What was your background in cannabis previous to this? So I just say a lover of the plant. I'm relatively... And you were you know, enthusiast. You were a cannabis yeah. enthusiast. Excellent. That's exactly right. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I started consuming young and uh, you know, I have two older brothers and that probably helped a little bit. Yeah, I actually started Growers Network and Cannacrib shortly after uh, during my senior year in, in college. So this is my first foray into, the, into any professional industry, really. I started a couple communities while I was at the University of Arizona. So I guess I do have a background in kind of grassroots community building from the ground up. And then, you know, I have a passion for uh, both cannabis and also technology and the marriage of the two of those things, as well as marketing and community building is kind of where I live today. And um, what I'm super passionate about, uh, you know, when it comes to sharing very special stories that will impact the the history and the our future, everyone in this industry, with the rest of the world, and just kind of showing and and proving that there is a way to have you know legal, compliant, and really good cannabis at the end of the day that saves lives and and builds businesses. You came to this as just an enthusiast. You had a a surface knowledge of how cannabis operated, how it grew, the production of it all. Did you have some misconceptions that were immediately proven inaccurate when you when you started doing cannabis? I would say the like everyone on our crew, including myself, we didn't really know we didn't really uh, know what went into a commercial size grow operation. You know, we might have had friends growing here and there more, you know, underground and uh, maybe at the the hobbyist or kind of that caregiver scale. But to walk into a commercial grow operation and see that scale, it was incredible. So I'd say maybe less misconceptions, but more just, uh, you know, kind of what's behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Having the opportunity to share that with the world is is really special. You talk about the stories. You mentioned that a, a couple of times. Do you have a, a favorite cannabis story or a favorite episode that you made? Mm. 
Mm. Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Choosing between your babies. So uh, yeah, I just I just keep pressing them. I'm, I, hey, I just started, man. I, I just love started. It. Yeah, no, I, I love the question, Chip. So um, I'd say you know one of the stories that I probably enjoyed the most telling and, and also was the most moved by was Scott Reach at Rare Dankness. He's gone through a lot of uh, personal turmoil and you can listen to his story with his health and how cannabis really healed him and gave him an opportunity to, you know, run a business and support his family. So uh, a lot of that uh, comes up and, you know, uh, throughout the episode and, you know, it's not every single episode that that story is going to be exactly the same. You know, each episode kind of has a, a unique I guess, unique story to tell. Um, But with Scott and Rare Dankness, before we went out there, you know, we did some research. We always like to do some pre-production research to come up with some story points and and kind of build out what the episode is going to look like before we set foot on set to film, you know, with his his personal fight with uh, cancer and how cannabis uh, really helped him personally with his fight with cancer, but also his background with uh, breeding and um, as a geneticist and through his other companies, he's building, in my words, he's building a, a cannabis empire. It doesn't stop with just House of Dankness. It doesn't stop with just Rare Dankness. He has a seed company around the world. He has a new nutrient line. So one thing that I really resonate with and connect with is the entrepreneurial spirit of these cannabis uh, cooperation owners. I know there's a lot of different types of commercial cooperations, but that episode with Scott, I mean, it really shined through all the different things he had going on and I loved it. He's really built an incredible room. If anybody's out there that wants to see a great, great, great cultivation grow room. Look up that episode. Which episode is it? I'm looking for it now. Episode six. It was right after Honeydew Episode Farm. six. Yeah, totally. Episode six, Honeydew Farm. Yeah. The first <laughs> can of cribs I saw was the Honeydew Farms one. Oh, really? I've spent, okay. I've spent most of my life in Humboldt. I moved there in 97 and still have a property and farm and business there today. I'd heard that there was some, you know, cause it, it's a small community. So I'd heard yeah. that there was some like thing being filmed at Honeydew Farms and it was out. And, and, uh, so yeah, I went and checked it out. That was my first exposure to you. And then of course I watched all the rest, rest yeah. of the episodes. Yeah. It's bingeable content. You know, it takes you about <clears throat> a weekend to watch all the can of cribs and deep roots. And we have a couple, you know, new projects on the horizon, but you know, if you, if you ask me the favorite episode to film, as far as where I was, it, it's hands down, uh, Alex episode. Moore's honeydew farms in, yeah. in Humboldt. It was my first time uh, traveling there. And I mean, honestly, Chip, I felt like the time froze. You know, some of our cell phones weren't working. You know, we just had our cameras and we were kind of like paused in this beautiful forest. And his property is pretty amazing as well. You know, on a river basin, It, it was it was magical. And we stayed in Arcadia. Arcadia. Arcada, Arcada. Yeah. So we stayed in Arcada and, you know, or no, sorry, I apologize. We stayed in Eureka. Eureka. We, yeah. We drove up um, about an hour and a half up the hill and then an hour and a half back down to our hotel each day. So we had to wake up super early and we went to bed pretty late each night because um, we were battling um, sunlight, you know, it, most of his farms outdoors. Oh, yeah. So we had to film very efficiently with the daylight there. So 
part of that was probably some lack of sleep uh, that added to the effect, but it was amazing. Uh, we went out to uh, the water side as well at the end of the episode. We went to the Redwoods. Everywhere we go, Chip, we, we try to characterize the region. Um, we try to give the audience a glimpse into what it's really like, not just in the farm, but the surrounding area. Because we have over 150 countries around the world watching our YouTube channel, right? So if someone's in, let's say, Russia and they've never been to Humboldt, I kind of put it on our shoulders, like as our responsibility to tell them what it's really like and to show them uh, that glimpse of the world. And uh, Humboldt is such a beautiful place. And I, I, I'm actually going to be right after this interview, I'm actually interviewing uh, two brothers that co-founded Lit House Farms in Humboldt. Big Al and Chris. And then last week I interviewed uh, Nat at Humble Seat Company for the Canna Cribs podcast. So I, oh, I yeah, love yeah. Humble. I, I, know, I know Nat. I'm actually like growing his seeds right now. Auto oh, nice. OGs. Yeah, okay. totally, totally. Yeah, we got like uh, 10,000 auto OGs we've planted in the past like two weeks. Wow. They'll come out sometime in October. Well, I'm always finding a reason, you know, trying to find a reason to go back. So if you still have property, if you have friends uh, up in Humboldt, oh, I'd love, yeah. to, love to film them somewhere. Oh, man, I love it up there. We've got so much stuff going on up there. You know, it's, it's an incredible geographical environment. You know, it's a really rough political environment. You know, there's just a, a lot of people that do not support legal cannabis and, and try to stand in your way at every, mm. every point. It's really unfortunate because... There's so many small farmers over there that can really bring and grow the best cannabis in the world. And they've got like the experience and the time and the understanding and the desire and the heart to do it. But, you know, the so many, you know, at so many levels, the the county and, and the bureaucracy in the county is against what they're doing. Now, many people in the county, they, they totally accept it. Right. Many of the board of supervisors are totally accepted, but mm. it's just a fight, you know, for anybody trying to get a legal cannabis operation there. And I salute anybody who's gone through the work to get one because uh, it's not at all easy there. Mm. It's not at all easy there. So, yeah, well, let's hope that the industry survives. But, yeah, I've got tons of connections up there. I, I, <clears throat> I, I totally hook you up with anybody you want to can't figure out to talk to you know i started potting soil company up there years ago royal mm -hmm. gold soils I, i've sold soil to everybody up there for years and currently my my new soil company grower soil i'm not in california yet i'm mostly just focusing on you know the midwest and the okay. east coast yeah i got tons of connections all over man if you ever want to go see anybody just ask I'm, I'm, i might know them thank you and and that's right. what i love about this industry when when I first started out, you know, I was working with my best friend and, and roommate at the time and, and current business partner, Nate Lipton of Growers House. And he had a, a spreadsheet of growers, right, that are commercial growers that uh, buy from Growers House. And I was originally and I still run Growers Network today, although, we're, you know, a lot of the conversations around Canicribs up to this point. But the first company and it is the production company of Canicribs is called Growers Network. And it's an online forum. We have about 11,000 members around the world, just people where they can go and connect and, and learn from each other. And I was originally just handed a spreadsheet of the top contacts from Growers House. And I just interviewed for 10 months. You know, I, I picked up the phone in the lean canvas methodology in the startup world. Um, it's called customer segment testing. 
So sure. I just picked up the phone and called, uh, you know, a hundred growers and listened to their pain points and, you know, how they learned how to grow cannabis, um, where they were at in their career, you know, super seasoned or new, what hurdles they were jumping over to become a legal professional grow operation. And at no point did I say, oh, join Growers Network or, oh, like Canna Cribs didn't start at that point. So in the very beginning, my first 10 months in this industry was just network building and acceptance amongst growers that were complete strangers. And what you just shared with me right now has been uh, my experience up to this point, just generosity and uh, open arms and, and welcoming into the industry. Um, so thank you and, and thank everyone out there that helps to you know, nurture this industry. You know, it's interesting you say that because there's, there's really two sides to the cannabis coin. And well, you know, it depends on which coin you're talking about, but the knowledge coin that we're talking about, there's two sides of it. There are the the guarded people that won't let you in mm. and are closed off. They don't really want to talk about it so much. A lot of it's left over from prohibitionary, you know, thinking. Some of it is, uh, you know, the, the, the proprietary knowledge. They think what they have is like mm-hmm. the best. There's often ego associated with all of that. But that's one portion of the community. And then the whole other portion of the community, like 75% open, talks yeah. about it, bites you over, wants to know what you're doing because they want to know if they're doing it right or wrong. Mm-hmm. right are absolutely like enthusiastic about what they're growing and want to make it better uh, so it's real interesting it is it's not an even coin flip that that most people in the cannabis industry that i come across and and i'm a uh, you know both of us are kind of a unique point in the pyramid but mm-hmm. you know they openly want to tell us what we're doing and tell other people and talk to other people openly yeah um, it's it's just a great place to learn that's for sure yeah. And, and right now, you know, I, I like that you said it's a great place to learn. Uh, right now, trade shows up to this point were kind of like the, the in-person exchange of information and knowledge and contacts and, and products and services. And now that they're all shut down, what I've seen is a huge influx of traffic to our YouTube channel and to our, you know, uh, Growers Network Grower Forum because people can't meet in person anymore. So, I mean, yep. obviously no yep. one planned for this, but for the content creators out there, such <clears> as yourself and, and, you know, my team, we're really in a pivotal point right now where, and that's why I started this podcast is we need to kind of ramp up, you know, we need to, you know, create more content and share more stories because there's not a whole lot of in-person outlets right now. We're kind of leading that charge and I, I kind of take it upon us to provide and, and kind of have that responsibility to provide that knowledge information exchange. You know, cannabis, the way you learn about it and the way people learn about it now is through this open source, is through YouTube, it's through Google, it's through this open network of people like bragging or people just completely enthusiastic about, about cannabis. You know, it's, it's so much different than say, let's pick a trade like photography mm. or marketing. Right. With marketing, if you're interested in marketing, you can go online and you can buy like, you know, two dozen Frank Kern courses. Mm. Uh, You can buy like, you know, any type of how to YouTube advertisement or how to Facebook or how to content Mm -hmm. 
but the, the cannabis industry it isn't like that. Can you shed some light on why you think that is? Well, I think you said a little bit earlier, Chip, you know, a lot of people, and I've heard it on your show as well. There's a lot of growers out there that in their mindset and in their belief, they're growing the best way, right? There are so many processes that go into growing cannabis. I, I'm not a grower myself, you know, but in filming these uh, large scale grow operations and in telling these stories, I've learned a whole lot about, uh, you know, growing cannabis organically, growing cannabis, you know, kind of boutique indoor, growing cannabis outdoors, you know, 36,000 plants at Los Sueños uh, farm. So what I have found is it's extremely fragmented on how to grow cannabis. There are so many unique ways. And the beautiful part to me is there's not one right way, you know, like you can grow soil, you can grow soilless, you can grow, you know, indoor with LEDs or indoor with HPS. And there's all these right path, left path that you can take throughout the entire grow cycle. And I want to educate the world on all those different options. And in each scene in Cannon Cribs, you know, if, if someone's listening to this and um, have not seen a Cannon Cribs episode, we always start with genetics. We go through propagation and we follow the life cycle of the plant all the way through kind of seed to sale, if you will. So um, throughout each scene, you know, I have not filmed an episode that has completely replicated a previous episode. You know, everyone's doing propagation a little bit differently. You know, they're doing veg a little bit differently. So to your question, um, I think it's it's fragmented. You know, email marketing is email marketing, right? There's, there's some uh, tricks to the trade, but it's an email at the end of the day, but, you know, growing a plant, there are so many different unique ways to do that. And furthermore, there's always new ideas, right? There's always someone with an innovative idea. And and when they share, it's the rising tide for every grower in the world. And then kind of, uh, you know, fuel to the, to the fire here, new products, right? I mean, you are a product inventor. You are a product genius and innovator. And when you, Chip, bring a new product to the market, it opens up a Pandora box of all these new types of cultivation methodologies. So I I think it's fragmented because there are so many different ways to grow the plant. Man, you really hit the nail on the head there. There is absolutely no one way. And that Wow, that's just the beauty of, of ganja, of cannabis, mm. high THC or hemp, right? It can grow in a million different spots. That's the resiliency uh, to yeah. the plant itself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's here for a reason. I I love your saying, plants grow us. You know, we don't grow plants. And uh, I, I'm, I got to pinch myself right now because it's so surreal to actually be on your show talking to you about that. But I completely agree. This plant's here for a reason. It's extremely yeah. resilient. And the fact that it can be grown in all these different, you know, unique ways to the region, to the grower, you know, to the product, it's here for a reason. You started Growers Network 2017, 2018, something like that? Yeah. So 2000, the end of 2016 going into 2017, right. um, senior at U- University of Arizona, I did about 10 months of research just trying to figure out what business model to start. You know, I had my hypotheses that I wanted to do something in the community space, given my background. And um, I thought there was a model there to build a, a new breed of online growing forums, uh, which is Growers Network today. 
um, a little bit more of, uh, you know, I, I pay all my respects, of course, to the forums that got us here today, like the, the Grass City and Overgrow and, and all those amazing forums. But I wanted to do it a little bit differently and provide a, a safe place for uh, the professional growers that were trying to transcend um, out of, let's say, a, a house grow into a, you know, 300,000 square foot greenhouse. Like, how do you do that? You know, who do you talk to? you know, where do you go to learn? Those are kind of the questions that I was trying to, to ask these growers. And that was uh, what uh, Growers Network was born out of, was that research. Man, it has changed since 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're 2020 right now as we record this episode. It's August 2020. You're in Arizona. I'm in Oklahoma. We've, we have uh, seen cannabis become legal all over the country in the past four years. We have seen like, you know, trends in cannabis happen. We've seen governments legalize it. We've seen Ponzi schemes associated with it. When you started this, at some point you started to get like a, a vision mm. of, of what was happening. Your perceptions of it in 2016, how have they changed the perceptions of it today, knowing all that change has happened? Let's just start with uh, vendors, for example, equipment suppliers, manufacturers. So in the beginning days, let's say 2016, you know, I went to my, my first trade show as a maximum yield show with uh, Nate and, and his father, my mentor, Pauly. And uh, they're, you know, with Grower's House, we went there to talk to vendors and, and walk the shows in San Francisco. And it was all new to me, this professional side of the industry that uh, I just didn't know existed, you know, as a, as a connoisseur or consumer or advocate, you know, in high school and, and uh, college, I just didn't know that this whole professional industry existed. You know, I was kind of naive to that. So um, since then, I have seen a lot of uh, new products hit the market. Um, I've seen consolidation of different companies like uh, Take Fluence, for example, with, you know, Osram coming in and uh, Take Hawthorne, for example, and, and Scott's group coming in and acquiring Gavita. And, you know, I listened to that episode on your show. I loved, loved that one, by the way. And I've seen that consolidation happen in a short amount of time, you know, past five years on the equipment side alone. On the uh, grower side, you know, I'm always trying to pick the next market to go out and film. And I, I definitely uh, will be chatting with you about Oklahoma. You know, once it's a little bit safer to start flying, I, I definitely want to bring the, the Canna Cribs crew over to Oklahoma and film some farms out there. But what I've seen is, you know, a lot of expansion. You know, it, it uh, expands into a new region, new state, and then it kind of restricts down. You know, it's it's a period of time where it grows, 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 um, hits that apex, and then consolidation starts to happen, and kind of uh, that market market equilibrium starts to happen, right? The supply and demand starts to to balance out. So, I've seen that happen over the past five years, which is pretty incredible. I've seen you know Canada come online and and some uh, other parts around the world, uh, Colombia for one. That's uh, really you know kind of blowing up in their part of the world. So it's exciting. And at the same time, I'm honored to be able to help document that history. Who could have predicted cannabis? Canada would have just skyrocketed and plummeted so quickly. Right. 
you know, <laughs> who could have predicted that Oklahoma, once one of the most conservative places about right. uh, cannabis in the country, would become the best and most premier place, you know, to cultivate cannabis in the country. Mm. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Right. Uh, (laughs) It's incredible where it's turning. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Chip. So what can we learn as a country? What can we learn from Canada's missteps so we don't follow in the same footsteps? Well, you know, I think we we're already doing the exact same thing. We we just weren't able to have publicly traded companies that could directly trade cannabis on the Nasdaq, mm-hmm. right? And uh, any like ancillary type businesses that were allowed to be publicly traded, those were all, you know, over the counter OTC trading mm-hmm. stocks. So I think that is really what kept the U.S. investment schema from exploding. But essentially, you still have the same exact elements that were going on in Canada that were going on, that are going on here, going on here today, Hmm. which are just like some incredibly savvy people that know how to manipulate the markets, that know how to manipulate venture capital groups or family offices. And, you know, for, for instance, the, the typical cannabis in quote unquote investment, there's two types. There's one is just like me, you and my brother all get together and we decide we want a cannabis right. operation. So we throw in our money and we make it kind of the friends, the thing. other friends and family thing, the yeah. bootstrap. And, and man, sometimes like you come up with millions of dollars that way to start your operation. People call you corporate cannabis, but it's not. It's just, yeah. you know, you, That's me right. and your brother putting it together. And and then there's the 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 venture capital model or the uh, investor model we'll mm-hmm. call it, and it it stems on you know somebody like you who wants to put in a cannabis operation or somebody like me that wants to put in a cannabis operation, mm-hmm. and we develop a business plan, we develop a performa that's you know fictional that we decide you know we think it should be this way that we're going to make this much money over this period of time we develop an operational costs and and schedule you know points at time when we make profit and and investors can get paid back and uh, people can pay incredibly accurate pictures like that but then they also create these you know inaccurate portrayal of what's mm. happened and that's what went on in Canada right there was an inaccurate portrayal of how big the market was right and so many people went into the marketplace and estimated it to be like 10 times bigger than it actually was and and just drove that whole investment strategy right so like that happens here in the US but it usually happens to in two different ways it happens from the the person that's actually trying to like get finance or get investors and they over exaggerate both you know knowingly and not over promise you know they don't either know they can do it or they're being promised by other people who don't turn, fulfill their promises mm. or you know or, or however that pans out and so then the then then it collapses right and then the other way it collapses is when a, a venture capital group comes in and they you know the way the venture capital groups work or many of them work is their their funds and there's someone who like was running the fund and they're getting paid a percent of the fund that's spent annually and they're constantly going out like searching for more capital 
and they'll do stuff like this. They'll like go to you, Nick. They're like, hey, Nick, are you interested in cannabis? Just, just say yes. Just you know, say yes. Yes. Say yes you're okay. <laughs> yes, you're interested in cannabis, and and you've got ten million dollars that you want to invest in cannabis this year. Just, just say yes. Yes. Uh, get, well, I'm not going to get you to sign on any line right now, but <laughs> we've got all these cannabis operations that come to us. We built a hundred million dollar fund. And if you want to contribute it, you know, then, then you can contribute to it. Just deal by deal base, you know, basis. You interested in that, Nick? Sounds good to me. Sounds great. Okay. So now they go to the next guy and they say the same thing and they're like, oh, hey man, we've already got $10 million. Right you know, don't be left behind. And they hustle all of these people for the investment, which I shouldn't say hustle because everybody's a willing participant because you love mm -hmm. cannabis. You've got a lot of money and you want to invest in it, mm -hmm. right? Like nothing wrong with that at all. But the person managing the fund is where it comes into play is now they're pressured to spend your money because right. that's how they get paid, right? They only get paid from your investment is if they find an investment for you and you'll go through 10 before you say yes on one They're and then they invest the your money and that kind yep. of it, it hurts the companies that might be overfunded because then that ties to unrealistic expectations that they have to deliver upon and that could lead to the demise of their company and also the fund yeah. but at the end of the day the managing partner of said fund has already you know received they've already been paid their, yeah They've already been paid. And, flawed, you know, seems like a flawed model. It's a totally flawed model. But but the, the reality is that you're so rich, Nick, that you've got this ten million dollars that you need to, like, invest annually. Mm -hmm. So, like, it, it, it's, you know, uh, because Canna Cribs is a multi-billion dollar operation now and you have to lose this ten million dollars every year. Hmm. Right. And this is an oversimplification of, of how right. it's going down. But like you spend the money and then you move on to the next project. Right. And your your VC manager moves on to the next project because they got another bunch of people like yourself. that got ten million dollars that they want to invest mm -hmm. or have an annual amount every year that they need to invest. So they keep up their lead gen. And man, that just pumps a bunch of like a bunch of crap out there. Mm. You know, projects that should be a million dollars turn out to be twelve million dollars. Greenhouses that should be three, four million dollars turn out to be ten million dollars. Indoor rooms that are two million or ten million, and they overspend. And I know several of these people that have gotten caught up in this, and they're my friends. And like they mm. were, you know, thought they were doing the right thing because it's hey, you know what sounds great is when you say something like this. We're building the most highly technical, advanced environmental control system in the whole cannabis industry. I'm going to be able to control my environment and the micro chasm. I can control every square inch. And I've got the data that's going to be able to back it up. And, I, and, you know, dude, that sounds great. Right. Well, you know, it's also like cost you like millions and millions of dollars to do it. And you may end up you know, growing slightly better or more weed over it, but the ROI on spending $12 million on a greenhouse that should cost a million dollars. It's just, you know, it's not there. It's right. not going to be there. And that's how those things collapse. They're not built on business. They're built on investment. And now they've got all this operational cost because it takes two people, a hundred thousand dollars a year to run their software that gets all this great data that they have to pay another whole accounting firm to read it. 
Right. What, right. Well, what <laughs> do you have, you know, having gone through all these examples with your friends and people, you know, what, you know, cautionary advice could you give? to Man, the big thing there? is don't really believe this investment business plan. I've mm. got an investor like, you know, I'm an investor. Like, don't think that the old way of doing it, the way that you probably know is the best way. The way that's mostly used is is the best way. And now things have changed. And I believe that the investors want to be involved in cannabis right now. It is a essential business. And the opportunity, the advantage is on our side. And it is an investment where it's a good, reasonable return, you know, based on profit margin and standard accounting practices. Like that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good investment. Right. Right. Like some of the investments I hear about, like the return rates are just so high. The expectations are just so high, you know, it's just, they fall apart. Mm. You know, and the 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 best advice is to be is to say, look, if you're going to have an investor, they should be an investor, and you should think about it like you're borrowing money, right? And otherwise, you have a partner, and if you're going to get a partner, you need to bring to be bring in someone who who has something other than just money. If they're just a, a capital partner and they don't have operational stake in the business, man, there's just so many details there over over who gets paid, who does what, and there's operational agreements they can define all that stuff. But as soon as you have a silent partner that has invested all of the capital, like things often go sour. Mm. Right. The paperwork's not done appropriately. Uh, the investor becomes like upset that, you know, the cannabis isn't performing appropriately. And, you know, they're hearing all this other ideas and they see can of cribs and got all these ideas on how they should improve their their scene. And it just often falls apart. Right. So like beware of your investor is absolutely the the best the best advice and man form some solid partnerships if you're interested in growing world-class weed well you know what you're going to need is you need a world-class extractor too because all of the weed that you grow you're not going to be able to produce into to world-class weed so go find an extractor that you can partner with you know hey if you're an extractor and you want to make world-class weed, go find a grower and go partner with those people. And, and instead of bringing like this outside investment, like so much of it can be done with inside the community and probably with like people that you know. But, you know, it, it just takes a, a you got to get rid of the ego and solely think about the business and think about the business that you can build together as opposed to this get rich quick scheme that often comes through with this investor type platform. And I hope I'm not insulting any investors out there. And I mean, I'm one myself and I have other friends that are investors. And I think they'd understand what I'm saying here is you have to be savvy. You have to be savvy on the investment and you have to be savvy. On both sides. And Hey, let's take that on the other side. Just last week, a friend of mine called me up and he was like, Hey man, I'm thinking about putting money into this cannabis operation. He threw out some rate of return. It seemed like a normal rate of return, you know, like a little bit better than bank money. But I I looked it all up for them and I looked at their PLs, their BLs. I looked at the performa. I looked at the location, you know, I, I checked them out with their state and these guys were totally full of shit and they just built this, this, 
performa to fool the unsavvy investor. And hey, man, my friend, he's a savvy investor in the tech industry, but he doesn't know anything about cannabis. Right. And, you know, we just went and looked at the guys like proposed costs for growing a certain amount, you know, a large amount of weed and realized like, oh, he's only spending $40,000 a year growing weed. Like there's no way he can grow 4,000 pounds. You know, <laughs> so like also, it goes on both sides, right? It goes I mean, it, on both sides, it's man. A like booming industry right now, and I think uh, with any booming industry, it attracts so many apples, and and some of them will be bad apples, right? So yeah. being cautious, savvy, and as you said, building a, a world class community and network of people that can you can rely on like your buddy calling you whether it's an investor investing into a cannabis cooperation or a grower calling you and saying hey like should i should i take this money um i think that's so vital to have people that you trust you know not part of the deal it does not have skin in the game that can you know help yeah. mentor you it's true and and you know i actually started a consulting group this year kind of based on that exact principle is that you know i have so many resources in the cannabis industry and can usually like know or figure out the problem someone's already had it in just a matter of moments yeah and and we we developed this this uh it's called greener group greener consulting group uh we developed this consulting group and you know with the thought of like oh we're going to be able to like help growers or extractors or owners like you know solve some of their cultivation problems and what we immediately getting started getting calls for was from investors from state and local <laughs> governments because they need this information too yeah. from banks they don't know how to bank with cannabis people but want to you know, and, you know, I, I actually have the connections of one of the guys. He works for us. Uh, he's one of our lead consultants uh, at Greener Group. And that's exactly what he does. He helps banks integrate into accepting cannabis clients as, as clients, cannabis growers as as uh, clients. So there's this this interaction that can happen now that hasn't happened in the past. Uh, where you can ask experts, where you can, you know, talk to people that actually know the cannabis industry and not just your great accountant who's going to be leery because he doesn't know the cannabis industry or thinks it's just a widget, you know, because it's not. It's completely not a widget. But yeah, there's my little rant, man. You got me talking today. I thought it was just <laughs> supposed to be an interview for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the cool thing. Um, I want to invite you onto the Canacrips podcast, and oh, I want to, um, I want to come, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's schedule it up, and uh, yeah, any time, man. And and uh, I absolutely, I'm going to promote your podcast. I'm stoked that we can be working within the same field mm. and not have to feel that there's a competitive uh, nature going on. Yeah, I built Growers Network in Canacribs on collaboration over competition, right? When it comes to content, whether it's, you know, the Growing Exposed YouTube channel or, you know, your podcast, you know, uh, fans around the world, they can listen to our podcast back to back. They can watch our YouTube videos back to back. So it's all about collaboration. And, and I want to say thank you again for you know, opening up your show for me today to join and, and share a little bit about what we're doing and, and being part of that. Um, I believe you said 75% of the industry of being welcoming and uh, accepting of uh, newcomers like myself. You're no newcomer now, man. That's for sure. <laughs>
Hey, hey, Nick, I really want to thank you for joining me today. I, I really appreciate talking to uh, up you about all the stuff you've done. And it's been a great conversation. We'll have to uh, we'll have to have you back on again. Definitely. Yeah. Thank right. you. And, and for everyone on your team, keep working hard. I know it's a really funky time right now and it kind of sucks that we can't go to trade shows and see each other and, and break bread uh, over dinner afterwards. But uh, I'm looking forward to those days again. And um, in the meantime, let's podcast it up and, you know, YouTube it up. Sounds good, man. And if you listen to this episode, and enjoyed it and would like to hear others, please download the real dirt at the real dirt podcast on iTunes and absolutely subscribe, subscribe. That's the only way we get to grow. You know, if you're paranoid or you just want to listen to it on my website, you can do that too. You can go to uh, the real and just stream it right there. But I love you guys. Thanks for listening. I I appreciate each and every one of you. I always appreciate your comments on Facebook and Instagram. I feel like my my growing network of friends just, man, it just expands every day. Uh, Just know I'm a a real person and uh, you can always reach me. And this has been The Real Dirt.